Welcome to Body Matters Podcast, where we bring to you raw and inspiring content on all things to do with body positivity and eating disorder recovery. But before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as traditional people and traditional owners of this country. We acknowledge with gratitude First Nations communities for their continuing care and connection to the lands or waters with which they have protected for thousands of years. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. On this week's episode, I'm excited to be introducing you to our next special guest, principal dietitian and nutritionist from the Lifestyle Consultations Clinic, Liz Stathakis. Liz has worked as a dietitian at the eating disorder units at Wesley Hospital in Ashfield, at Northside West Clinic Wentworthville, as well as has been a senior dietitian at Hunters Hill Private Hospital. Having worked and been on the podcast, for the Butterfly Foundation, where Liz ran group programs in Sydney on eating disorders and body image. Liz has also written expert feature articles in the media, including for The Village Observer, Men's Health Magazine, and Meat and Livestock Australia. On this week's episode, Liz so kindly is going to speak about the topic of understanding your own unique food needs as a holistic part of eating disorder recovery. So please enjoy. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Liz. No, thanks for having me. Yes, lovely to have you on. So would you be able to provide a little background information about yourself and maybe talk about some things that you do to stay well? Yep. Uh, So my background is as a dietitian, uh, nutritionist, Um, Before that, an exercise physiologist and a health coach. And I've been in the eating disorder field for about 10 years now, mostly in private practice, but also in the hospital setting and in outpatient programs of all sorts. Um, I'm lucky to work alongside my partner in crime, which is Bechamel. Uh, She's a rescue greyhound. She's actually sleeping in the background here. And... um, In terms of staying well, my essentials really are about connecting with family and friends. That's something that really makes me stay sane. Um, Resting and managing stress because I can be a stressaholic sometimes. Um, Things that really work in terms of taking care of me is going for puppuccinos with bechamel and home DIY with varying levels of success, as my husband would say. Yes, I love all of those things. It's a great combination. And I love the social health part as well. That is such an important part of self-care. Yeah, really important for me. So each week on the podcast, we do like to ask our guests about a recent challenge that they've experienced and how they have managed to overcome one. Do you have one? Yeah, this is really interesting because earlier this year I had a really, I think we had a really rough trot with a lot of grief and loss in our family. We had a sort of double whammy and I think how we got through it or or overcame it was really the connections thing again. So making sure that we touch, it's a time when you want to isolate and, you know, throw yourself in a corner with lots of pillows on top in an UDI. But we we connected with family and friends. 
And also I was lucky enough to have a really good psychologist that I'd just gotten on board for myself and it had been years between um, seeing someone. And so I was able to increase sessions with her and she really helped me get through as well. Um, so that's that's sort of one big whack we had, but how we got through it. Well, my condolences for you and your family and it is very, very important to have that family around you or friends or people to kind of connect with through those times yeah yeah it's not a huge group uh I don't want to sound like I'm really popular it was just a small group, but they're really important to us the quality that matters it could be one person that's still very very lucky <laughs> yeah. so on the topic of today we are going to be talking about our bodies and our own unique food needs so what factors influence how much food that your body needs? So it's really interesting because I'd like to highlight that there are quite a few factors that are really outside of our control that impact on our body and body needs or, or our food needs. And that they are genetics, age, gender, height, and your if you have an illness state. And we don't often think of about these factors and I thought that's why I'd bring them up a lot of this stuff is out of our control um there are other things that come into it but uh it's pretty much set so that's why following diets often doesn't work at all because we are so individual when it comes to our genetics and all of the other stuff that comes into it and I really like that you highlighted that so many things are out of our control and just how our lifestyle has you know, become what it is. Mm. Mm. So what is the importance of meeting your body's nutritional needs? Uh, The the speed dating answer is we we need food and enough of it so we don't fall apart physically and mentally because it's, it's, you know, um, taking care of our body, fueling our body, repairing our body. We need uh, fuel for body maintenance and growth, like protein has a really important role in our skin, hair, nails to keep us feeling beautiful, to produce hormones, to signal uh, around our body. Uh, organ function, our brain, we need that to function 24-7, even when we're sleeping, it's it's sorting out thoughts and memories and things like that heart function every single beat of our heart requires energy to to um contract because it's a muscle then uh you know fuel and nutrition has a role in immunity um incidental activity planned physical activity and then uh one sometimes we forget about when we consume food it actually takes energy to do that. So when we eat, it actually takes energy to process that fuel and, and to do digestion. Um, so that's really important. Yeah. And like you're saying, every single one of your cell requires food to live and function. So it's important to be able to meet your nutritional needs. Yep. Yeah. So how might not meeting your body's nutritional needs lead to the development of a potential eating disorder and this is really interesting because eating disorders are multifactorial so there's you know now we know about genetics that play a role as well as environmental stuff so it's not one thing that's going to cause an eating disorder Um, but we do know from the brilliant but highly unethical informative Minnesota and Ansel Keys study um, that semi-starvation 
uh, can lead to physical and physiological psychological changes that, uh, you know, looks like eating disorder stuff. So preoccupation with food, um, increased eating disorder thoughts, urges and behaviours. So we do know that starvation plays a really big role. And often treatment focuses on taking care of the starvation first for eating disorders and then moving on to uh, the the psychological treatment but often you need to do both at the same time because they're so sort of woven in like a big messy ball of wool um, restriction though of your intake can lead to things like hangry outbursts uh, nutrient deficiencies really bad sleep um, and really bad mental health because the they all they all play a role for each other there um, I really like, there's a quote by Janine Roth, I hope I'm not misquoting, but she says, for every diet, there's an equal and opposite binge. And I really like to remember that whenever someone's considering dieting or doing something interesting with food, there will be a consequence if you're not taking care of your body and its needs. Yes, definitely in all different facets of life, no matter what it could be. So then talking about restriction, why is then the calories in, calories out method um, such a problem and ineffective in meeting your body's nutritional and functional needs? So the, the calories in or calories out or energy in equals energy out doesn't really work because we're, we're thinking that it's the food we eat equals the exercise we do. And it's not taking into consideration the fuel we need for our brain to function or our the fuel we need for our hormones or to take care of our skin. All these processes are taking um, place over our body and most of the energy we need goes into taking care of those basic things. Uh, oh, this is going to be a terrible guess at a percentage from memory, but I think it's something like over 70% of the fuel we need has got nothing to do with exercise. It's all taking care of our brain's energy needs, our body's, you know, recovery, replacement, all that stuff, enzymes, hormones, maintaining our body's temperature. So if we were to look back at the energy in equals energy out and use that, that would be like how we uh, think about our car so we turn it off when we're not using it and when we're using it we're using fuel now if we were to live like that when we turned it off we'd be dead so it just doesn't work for human bodies <laughs> because when the car's turned off nothing's pumping around nothing's fueling anything but that's not how we work or you know uh, how we function I guess yeah, something to think about, even now when we're uh, digesting food, even as we sleep, which we all need to do, our digestive tract's got muscle lining it and we we need fuel to, to take care of that muscle so it can do its function so our poop goes in the right direction. So there's stuff we don't even know about or think about that we need fuel for. It's not and a very simple example there, but... <laughs> Yeah, and your body is so complex that you need all different nutrients for different things as well. Like you just can't eat less and move more. It just it's not good for your overall well-being or health and it there's a lot of consequences that can come if you really disregard all the parts of um being human. That's it. And if we do the calories in calories out, you will be um you'll be increasing your risk of deficiency, not taking care of your body's needs. And and really, it, it's quite dangerous because it it's um, 
it is not good for your body at all. No, and your emotional needs, your social needs, there's lots of needs that you've got that you want to try and meet. And calorie restriction to that extent can be so detrimental to all those areas. Yeah. So how might nutritional needs be different for people who may be injured, ill or have maybe health concerns? Um, because there's such a vast range of different illnesses with different nutrient um or nutritional uh, requirements, this is really hard to answer. But on, I think on the whole, when you're unwell, you need more fuel. Uh, when you're, when you're malnourished, you don't need to just get back to a normal meal plan for an eating disorder. You actually need a, probably a bit more than that, because not only are you going to fuel yourself for everyday life, but you also need to fuel yourself to do all the repair. So in, in illness, injury, or recovery from a uh, restrictive eating disorder, I guess in particular here, protein in particular plays a really important role. And I think my uh, the, the nutrients I like to see prioritize are protein and carbohydrate. Carbs are our friends. And, you know, then things like uh, veggies often are less priority at that time. But everyone is different. There's definitely no one size fits all. And that's probably why seeing a dietitian who's who's sort of skilled in the area, who's got a bit of experience under the belt would be important to, to have a chat to individualize things for you. Because um, there's things like allergies and intolerances or, um, you know, certain medications uh, where there's food interactions that need taking into consideration. That's why I think it, it really it's really important to remember there's no one size fits all yes absolutely and that's why we're talking about this topic (laughs) so what are some tips to help people maybe identify their food needs then I think this it's really interesting there's not one sort of tip that I can think of to help people identify their food needs in particular, except that if you have had a complex relationship with food or an eating disorder in the past, I think I'd recommend linking in with a skilled dietitian with an eating disorder specific background of maybe more than five years or a health at every size approach dietitian, because they've got sort of a a nice lens on, on things. So in terms of identifying your food needs, I'd I think I'd go to linking in with a professional um, if you've had a dicey relationship with food uh, or an eating disorder in the past. Definitely, definitely all those things come into play. And it is hard to figure out what your body needs and to really learn yourself and get to know what's healthy for you. It does can take a very, very long time and probably need some help as well. Yeah, yeah. So then how can you listen to maybe your body's needs throughout the day? I'd like to give everyone permission to not always uh, listen to your body's needs throughout the day because we're busy. (laughs) Sometimes we can't do that all day long. But um, I think my go-to, if you're ready, would be to look into intuitive eating practices. Uh, I think a, a nice good start or introduction would be to look at the 10 principles of intuitive eating. Um, uh, various mindfulness practices can start uh, help you build up an understanding of 
uh, connection with body and needs and things like that. Um, I guess having a background of, of trauma or illness might make it difficult to connect with your body. And I definitely think in that case, it might not be the right time because you might need to do a bit of work. And if this stuff does make you nervous, a skilled dietitian again, or a psychologist who focuses in the area of eating disorders or health at every size might be a really good go-to to help support you through that. Yes. And I really liked that you highlighted that um, if someone's maybe got a complex relationship with their food or body, that it is hard to actually become in tune with it and know what is meeting your needs and what is adequate. Yeah. Yeah. So then how can you ensure you are eating adequate amounts of food for your body? Again, I guess because I my main background is working with severe and enduring eating disorders. I'm coming at this from that perspective. If you've if you've got an eating disorder, um, ensuring you're eating enough is all about that mechanical eating. So three meals and three snacks per day, following a portion guide from your dietitian, and it could be about twelve months before you can trust your natural hunger fullness signals. So. That sounds perhaps a little bit depressing, but some people uh, don't mind it because it sort of takes the responsibility away of having to think or argue with their eating disorder. It's just what it is. This is the plan. We're going to stick to it. Um, if you don't have a, a background of an eating disorder or you're feeling uh, uh, like really confident in where you are in your recovery from an eating disorder, you can be more flexible still ensuring your regular eating, listening to your satiety cues, your hunger fullness cues. Um, you might be doing all that stuff. You might be doing a bit of intuitive eating. And to make sure that it's all on track, you might decide to every so often check in with your GP, have a blood test, make sure there's no deficiencies, um, asking yourself questions or checking in. Am I avoiding any foods? Am I skipping meals? Am I deprioritizing my nutrition because uh, we get busy again and sometimes it just slips? Um, I guess the last one, and I feel like I'm a dietitian salesperson here, but again, checking in with the dietitian to see if you are meeting all your needs and, uh, you know, do you eat a piece of fruit every so often so you don't get scurvy? I mean, that's a bit extreme and dramatic, but that sounds like me. Um, uh, you know, I guess lastly, Often we're focused on weight and BMI as an indicator of are you eating enough, are you doing it right? And I just think they're quite unreliable um, measures of health. And I, I don't think they are a measure of health. So other there are way more um, effective and helpful measures other than weight uh, to, to, to track wellness. Yeah. There definitely is. There's so many different areas. It's very important to highlight <laughs> <I like> that. <laughs> so then why does nourishing your body also include enjoying the foods that you love? So in terms of nourishing your body while enjoying the foods that you love, this indicates that we're going to have a really kind of um, – non-biased relationship with all foods right and and how do we do this I think number one is providing unconditional permission to eat this is a really scary concept right providing unconditional permission to eat uh, and and sometimes at the start of trying this new skill we go a bit crazy before we settle down but this is this I think 
when you get to this stage, it's beautiful. It's so good. The other thing that is helpful is to stop morally labeling foods. So you're not good if you eat a carrot or bad if you eat a brownie. The food does not feel bad for having been eaten. You should not feel bad for having eaten eaten it. You know, we need to eat food and we need to eat a variety of foods uh, to take care of our body, but also to take care of our brain. Sometimes we don't eat because um, it's, you know, got uh, vitamin B1 in it. Sometimes we eat because damn, that thing looks delicious and it's part of a social occasion. And that's important for nourishing my soul rather than maybe my iron levels. And, And that's okay. That's really important. Yes, I really love that. So then what are some of the main challenges that you see um, when it comes to people understanding their own unique food needs? Again, I'm thinking of this primarily from the severe and enduring eating disorder point of view, uh, because because that's who that's the lovely people I work with. And I think one of the main challenges is that an eating disorder is a very persistently invalidating illness to the sufferer. So it often says things like, oh, you're not even that sick or you don't even need that food or we were so we were so much sicker than this before. It's fine. Um, and uh, your eating disorder is saying that to you when it's 110% exactly the opposite of what you need to be hearing. And so uh, that makes it really hard to have permission to eat. Um you know, it's not, we're not even seeing the specific food needs just to eat is a big challenge. Um, other challenges might include comparisons with other people, what they're eating, uh, why they're eating, what did they eat before? We, we're not seeing the whole picture and we just make comparisons based on a snapshot of the day. And that often makes the sufferer feel really bad. Um, challenges could include resources that we have. Everyone has varying levels of support or um, budgets or uh, resources in the kitchen or equipment in the kitchen. So you might have a supportive family that helps you cook and they eat with you and they do the grocery shop. Others might be struggling alone um, and they have to do the grocery shop by themselves and cook for themselves. And that makes it a thousand times harder. It definitely does. Mm. So then how would you go about maybe assisting someone who does make decisions against their um, nutritional needs? How would you assist someone with maybe behaviour changes then when it comes to identifying those unique food needs? I guess it's making sure we're across what challenges they have. So whatever behaviour change we decide upon or whatever changes we decide to make, that they align with that person they align with their culture and beliefs they align with any allergies or food intolerances or illness stage um, their, their living situation so it, interesting this plays a really big role if you're living alone versus flatmates versus family it really can impact things like how much fridge space you have do you have a shelf or do you have the whole thing um that that makes uh, a really big impact on how you can shop and cook and store things um, your food budgets it really important to think about. Do you have an unlimited food budget or do we have to really make sure the food choices we make um, 
align with your budget and make sure that we can get enough food for the week to meet your needs. And I guess the, the last one is kitchen skill and gadgetry. Again, if you only have a microwave uh, and you are a microwave chef, we need to make things work for that. Or you might be a sous vide chef. Now I'm definitely not a sous vide chef, but uh, that's that like fancy uh, slow cookery thingy thing that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not on, I don't have one of those. I'm not that good. I don't even have an air fryer thing, which is definitely the trend of the moment um, that everyone's raving about. So those things really impact um, how we're going to address your unique food needs and identifying those challenges and working together to meet your needs in a way that sort of fits in with all of those elements is really important. Absolutely. Your nutritional needs are holistic and there's just so many things that really influence your life and yeah, your access to food and being able to buy the food that you want or that you need. So it's important that you talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some lifestyle supports that you may introduce for someone who is concerned about their relationship with food? Um, I think building up a really supportive team is important. And not only ticking the boxes of who's on your team, uh, but also making sure they're the right fit. Uh, this could be offensive to all, all my fellow clinicians out there, but I think that clinicians, myself included, are like shoes. And you really need to find the right fit for you. You might want a real crack the whip type of support, or you might want a real relational gently, gently type. Um, don't be afraid to try in a few clinicians. Don't be afraid to change if someone's taken you uh, to a certain point and then you feel like you need someone different. That's actually okay too. You have permission to do that. And I guess uh, in terms of who we might use for supports, uh, team members, I've got a little list here. There's the dietitian who obviously does the food talk. Now they're not the most important. I just put them at the top because I'm a dietitian and came to mind first. Then psychologist who does all the talk therapy, psychiatrist who's more sort of meds and diagnoses, then your GP, team champion, medical monitoring, that's their role. You might also consider someone like a support worker to help with grocery shopping or daily tasks. Um, exercise physiologist, if you've got a really bad relationship with exercise and that needs addressing, or if you need to do some sort of rehabilitative uh, movement, that might be someone you want to get on board. And lastly, a social worker, because they help you connect with services and supports. So there's, that's not a, you know, everyone on the team list, but that's, that's kind of like, you might pick and choose what you need at, at a certain time to fit your needs. Now, how the hell do you find these people? Um, I think a really good uh, place to start would be Butterfly Foundation because they're sort of the number one thing in Australia in terms of directing you to resources and, and people who have uh, more of an insight around eating disorders and when you have a bit of a pickly relationship with food. Absolutely. And I know that the Butterfly Foundation definitely addresses a lot of mental health challenges that people um, do have with eating disorders. So how might you maybe go about supporting people who may experience mental health challenges if someone is experiencing this alongside their relationship with food? Mm. Often when we talk food in session, 
uh, stuff comes up that's really outside of my scope of practice, just specifically as a dietitian, and it's more suited to the psychologist seat. Often I'll say to a client, you know, this is above my pay grade, so we're just going to jot that down and let you take that to your psychologist. Now, if they don't have a psychologist, I'll help you know, find that for them in the right, uh, again, it's like finding the right fit. So they might have, uh, it might be ADHD or it might be depression or anxiety. And psychologists often have different areas of specialty. And so they're not all the same. Uh, so it's really important to help them make sure they find someone who is good at what they need. So number one would be package that up jot it down and help them connect with a psychologist. If they already have one on the team, it might be me taking the, the lead and handing it over to the psychologist or the team, or the client might be okay with doing that too. But they're definitely our ally and our number one supporter in, in when that mental health stuff comes up that's outside of scope. Yes. Do you have any tools, though, that you may use if someone is um, finding the mental health side challenging with um, maybe behaviour changes around their diet? Yeah, no, I've, it's really funny, but over the years I've got like a little list of different things that I like to pull out of like my magical bag of tricks. None of them are magical on their own, by the way. They're just a combination and not everything works for everyone. So things like journaling can be really useful and that can be useful for both me and the psychologist because it'll be like, I really hate this bloody burger that my dietitian made me eat today or, and there might be more and that could be useful for both the psychologist and the dietitian. There's the recovery record app, which is free for clients and the clinicians bear the cost, which is good news for, for clients. There's books like Eating in the Light of the Moon, which I like. It's the only eating disorder book for clients that I've read that I haven't fallen asleep reading. Uh, group programs. Uh, I run one in the inner West around meal support. Um, Trauma-informed yoga is brilliant. We've also got one of those going. Art therapy, brilliant. There's lots of fantastic uh, art therapists, specifically, uh, I guess, in, in New South Wales. And resources for family, because sometimes a lot of the conflict or the stress comes from the relationship that we have with our family or our carers or our friends who just don't get eating disorders so I'm I was really lucky enough to have a client who's developed something called a little booklet about eating disorders and it's all about what to say and what not to say to someone with an eating disorder uh, and that's uh, freely available as a download um, on the webs our website um, but it, it's it's been made that way by the author which was really lovely and that's great resource for family to help them understand why or when or, you know, when they're putting their foot into it, why is it really enraging for the sufferer? Um, lastly, in terms of mental health support tools, anything that provides a client with connection or allows for self-compassion is vastly valuable because that's in, in recovery that's what we need. Eating disorders are super isolative. They're, they really uh, uh, mean things that you're yelling at someone probably 24-7. And so anything that allows to connect with the earth, ground them 
and and help them be compassionate towards themselves is really helpful. Yes, it does always it is always very important to come back to yourself in all of that as well as all the amazing wonderful resources that are out there too. It's you need a lot more things within yourself as well. Yep. So if anyone wants to find more information about you, where can they find you? Uh, most of my stuff, I'm terrible on social media, but everything uh, about me and the practice is on our website, which is lifestyleconsultations.net.au. Um, and then in terms of other resources or if you're stuck and don't know where to start, I think Butterfly Foundation would be uh, the number one place I'd send people. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for this interview. It's been delightful and a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Please subscribe, leave us a comment or a review. If you would also like to learn more about Body Matters services, you can check out our website at bodymatters.com.au. Thanks for listening.